Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Space Above and Beyond, Episodes 2 and 3. Aerotech had two colonies, Vesta and Telus. Vesta's three parsecs away, Telus is in reach. Nathan... The Telus attack was weeks ago. The chances that anyone West. is still... She's dead. Drive on, it don't mean nothing. How the hell would you know what it meant, Take Enough! Come on. Nathan. Nathan. He's right. There is nothing you can do about her, nothing. The only thing that you can do is get back in the war. And that we do in 30 mics. So suit up. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that still finds a way to bring up tech war pretty much every week. It is an amazing thing we're we're able to do every single week. I'm Luke, uh, here with my co-host Jordan. Guess what I did this weekend, Jordan? Please say it's something tech war related. I went to uh, Stratford, Ontario. Oh, yeah. And saw a production of Shakespeare's Coriolanus. Mm -hmm. And one of the lead actors was an actor named Tom McCamus. Okay. Who you might know best as Tech Lord Miles Connor. Wait, what? Which one was he? He was an alter ego. He was the Tech Lord who made the AI exactly like him. Oh, so yeah, yeah, frozen. yeah. Yeah, so he was, he was one of the leads in it. So he was on stage the whole time. And I just kept thinking about Tech War. You know, if you had known ahead of time, you could have got an 8x10 glossy printed of, him, of his appearance in Tech War and then waited after. I assume there's a back door and then waited there and see if you could get a uh, signature from him. Oh, that would have been a very good idea. Although it was really funny. His bio doesn't mention tech war at all. It's crazy. Yeah, I wonder why that is. It's, it's, I, I can't figure it out. I, I have it on my resume. I didn't even work on the show. All right, Jordan. I put a little segment together for us this week. I kind of wanted to go in and look around, get a little deeper into Space Above and Beyond. So I kind of looked into kind of what merchandise maybe existed for the show when it was out. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put a little something together here that I'm calling Continuum Swag. We can add music there. <laughs> please, please do. So I, I was a little sad. I was kind of holding out hope that someone had made action figures for this show. No such luck, unfortunately. But there, there's, there was actually a little bit of merchandising around the show. First, Topps Comics actually did a few issues of a comic series around the show. Topps did the comics? The, the card company? Yeah, they, they had a comic label for a while, Topps Comics. I would show you if we were in the same room. Um, unfortunately, we're still recording remotely. But uh, one of the comics has a very funny like group shot. And West's face looks like he has no jaw or nose. <laughs> and it's uh, very funny to look at. We'll find it and put it on Instagram. I, yeah, okay. I was very amused by it. Um, but yeah, they did They did a few comics. Not a lot. Five in total. Three issues. They were an adaptation of the pilot episode. And then they did two issues of an original story called The Gauntlet. In which the like 58th got, not kidnapped, they got captured by the aliens. 
And then they find out the aliens have a turncoat human amongst them and they're like get tortured and they have to escape. So there, there was a small trial of maybe an original comic strip. Hmm. And how many issues did you say? Comic strip. Uh, there was only five. Ah, okay. You, you were mentioning how bad, um, or at least how bad the one image looked of the one character's face. There's something odd about comic books that are based on, uh, you know, some sort of live action property. Almost invariably, they get artists you've never heard of before who do sort of passing, you know, passing facsimiles of, of these people. And it's just always the weirdest looking art. And I don't know why. I don't think I've ever seen one of these, whether it's, I don't know, X-Files or Star Trek or whatever it might be, where they they really nail it out of the park in terms of the art. I mean, uh, to be fair, I think the rest of the characters looked okay. It was just, uh, it was West who looked like Odo or something and had lost half his face. Maybe the uh, artist was is sick of looking at his stupid face as I am watching the show. And he's just like, you know what? Screw this guy. I'm going to make him look like Odo. I, I thought you'd appreciate it because I know you're very tired of him already. Already. And you know what? Here's a little preview for these two episodes. He gets worse. So other than the comics, there was actually a few uh, books that came out. Really? When it started. First, there was four young adult uh, sort of novelizations. One is of the pilot. One of them is actually one of the episodes we watched today, Dark Side of the Sun. And then a couple other episodes were turned into sort of like, you know, just novelizations for kids. And these things are definitely the kind of thing you'd get at like a school book fair. Like they come with like eight full color photos and and that sort of thing. So I don't think they're very thoughtful uh, books. But there were two. I mean, what's the best term for this? I guess adult novels. I don't know what adult was reading them, but they were, um, they were actual books. They were actual books. One, again, was a novelization of the pilot. They, they really were selling this pilot. But one was an original, an original novel called uh, Demolition War. And uh, here, here, I'll give you, this was the tagline on the cover. Wild youth in a hot war against an alien menace. Yeah. Okay. So it was, it was, yeah. hot, it was hot youth? Uh, wild youth. Oh, wild The war youth. was hot. Mm. Um, and That's accurate, I guess? Yeah, sure. Why not? They're wild. Wild and crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what show was it that used that reference? Was that Beyond was Westworld? That, that was Beyond Westworld. <laughs> I remember how bad that was. <laughs> I'm glad you remember, too. Um, the, the little write-up on the back of the book uh, said the story was going to be about um, a double agent, renegade deserters, and a beautiful fighter pilot who teaches West about love. I know that's what you. Mm. I know that's what you wanted about to read. Time. So like West uh, getting it on. Well, it's until you're reading a science fiction. What you're really hoping for is, you know, of course, a love story. You know what this reminds me of, and I don't think I've said this on the air before, but and, and we we can cut this, Luke. But you remember this is a while ago. You and I, <laughs> you and I went to a Star Trek improv. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember. <laughs> Do you remember that? And we, anyways, we don't need to get into the whole thing, but Luke and I went to a Star Trek improv and it wasn't great. We'll just say that. But my favorite part was a woman came up because there wasn't enough action packed content. A woman kept wanting to do songs. Do you remember this? Like she started, she did some songs, then she came back and did a few more songs. It was like an intermission where she, oh, a musician came up to sing. And, and she came at one part and she was like, and it was all, you know, Star Trek theme stuff. And she got up and she was like... I'm going to sing a bunch of songs and they're not really Star Trek songs, but they're about love and isn't really that what Star Trek is about. And you very audibly, and we were in like the second row. We're like, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and I, and I enjoyed that. 
I think you might have just been you were just saying it to me, I think, but it was it was clearly loud enough for everyone to hear that you were disagreeing with her assessment of Star Trek. Well, she had said she'd never seen Star Trek before, and this was her best guess as to what it was about. Yeah, it's it was an odd venue for her to, to showcase, you know, the theme from Cats or whatever she was singing that evening. She her voice was lovely, but we did walk out. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that was our for more about our evening of Star Trek improv, just email us at continuum drag. <laughs> It's very funny. I thought you were going to bring up the time we both read Imzada. <laughs> I did read that. Do you read Imzada too? No, only the first. Was the sequel better than the first? No, I don't. I'm only my, my brother read the second one. I'll have to ask him. We'll have him on for an all Imzada episode. No, no one needs to know about this show. Um, so I, that the books, the comics, that was about it for kind of merchandise that seemed to be created during the run of the show. However, there was a, a small subsection of merchandise I sort of stumbled across on eBay. And it seems to be very unauthorized, but there are a lot of sort of military style insignia patches and t-shirts. I saw a bunch of these too. I saw uh, what you would call like, like, I guess fan art, but people like lovingly recreating badges yeah. And, and I, I guess I think there's a big military following is what this is. Well, I actually went through and I wrote down every single one I could find because there's so, so many of these created. I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of them. No, please read every single one. I'm, I'm going to read every one I found on eBay. So get ready. Okay. There was an Earth flag. There was a TELUS colony patch. There was a U.S. Marine Corps patch. There was a U.S. Marine Corps Mars patch. There was a 58th Squadron patch. There was a 46th Squadron patch with uh, the subtitle Death on Call. There was a patch for the Wild Cards with the subtitle Expect No Mercy. There was an Angry Angels patch. There's a 127th Attack Wing patch. There's a 201st Airlift patch. There was a 5th Air Wing patch. And then there was still more a USS Saratoga patch, a USS Saratoga Medical Corps patch. A U.S. Saratoga damage control firefighter patch. And finally, and probably my favorite, and maybe a prelude of things to come, but a patch for Bacchus, the pleasure ship. Ooh. Do you think that's going to be like a Ryza? Yeah, I, I think we're going to get to an episode where they go to this pleasure ship, and I could not be more excited by this patch. Also, did you say the one said death on call? Death on call. That was the, uh, that's, the that's on the 46th squadron patch. If I was in a bookstore and I was walking by an aisle and there was a detective novel that was called Death on Call and it had, you know, like a detective leaning against a wall with his gun and up in the window you could see a doctor who's looking mysterious, I would guarantee pick that book up and take a look at it. It's very good. Uh, All of the patches actually were like really top notch. I'm kind of impressed by the fandom around this show. It's just like creating kind of the the like aesthetic of the show still. Well, what we should do is uh, we should uh, buy some of those badges. Remember I wanted to buy those uh, Tech War mugs, but they were like $40 each? Well, that was a big mistake. We shouldn't make it again, so let's get all these patches. Yeah, okay, let's do it. All right, to eBay. <laughs> Hold on, let's do it right now. All right, um, shall I shall I lead us into this first episode? Yeah, and uh, I can't remember which one was uh, which, so I- I'm excited to uh, have you remind me. Episode 2, The Farthest Man from Home. When the USS Saratoga passes close to the planet Vesta Colony, where the Earth colonists were attacked, West goes AWOL and flies down to the planet 
in the hopes that his girlfriend, Kaylin, somehow survived. That's a pretty good synopsis, actually. I'm actually going to pause this right there because there's an error in that synopsis and an error that we made last week, or at least I did anyway. Which is? There are actually two Earth colonies in that first episode. There's Vesta and there's Telus. They're not the same planet. And this episode all takes place on Telus, not Vesta like that synopsis says. Uh, So Jordan, if you could go ahead and fix that on IMDb, I'd appreciate it. I'll I'll get on that right after I buy some more badges off eBay. Great. Uh, But uh, it was very funny. I read that. I'm like, I think uh, after watching the episode, I'm like, I misunderstood what was happening in the first episode with these colonies. And so did whoever wrote this synopsis. So the original ship that was going to go populate, I thought, Mars, where was it going? Telus? Yeah, the one that West was supposed to be on with his girlfriend was going to Telus. The colony we saw attacked at the beginning of the episode was the Vesta colony. So those are actually like, my understanding is those are two different planets. Oh, I didn't didn't catch that either. Well, and what that means too is that like these aliens kind of like watched what they were doing and really planned like a Pearl Harbor on them. It's not like they showed up on their planet accidentally. Like they went to two different planets and wiped them out. Really changes the stakes, Jordan. I don't know if it does, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the episode opens on uh, the army coming down on Telus amongst the ruins of the colony ship that was shot down. They're sort of searching the ruins, and they kind of find this survivor from uh, the Telus colony ship who's sort of lost his mind and is kind of screaming about being the farthest man from home. Did you uh, did you catch who plays this uh, this crazed colonist? I did. It was French Stewart. And I was really hoping, and I don't know if you were, I was hoping this was going to be a crossover with, uh, was that show Third Rock from the Sun? No, Third, Third. Yeah, Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. Anyways, that would, that have been great. But he's, he's actually not doing the character you think he's going to do, which is a squinty, confused guy. He's a guy doing the really annoying TV trope of someone who's not making a lot of sense simply because if he did, there wouldn't be a plot to an episode. Right. He, uh, I think this was like kind of, pre that sitcom era of his because like he was in stargate as well probably around this time the movie was that right yeah so i i'm not sure there was a period of time where french stewart's career was positioned to be like some sort of science fiction sidekick i guess i think his peak was in uh home alone 3 oh leave french stewart alone i love him do you love french stewart i'm a big fan are you really? I I don't really have it. I don't really care about him either way. I think I just really like the Third Rock from the Sun a lot. And he's in a great birthday boy sketch. Which sketch? Uh, the the comedy uh, troupe, the birthday boys. Hmm. I, I don't know who that is. All right. Well. Do you mean jerky boys? <laughs> yeah. I. Sorry, you're right. I got so confused. I meant jerky boys. <laughs> it's, the jerky boys used to make crank phone calls. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So French Stewart is... Essentially, he keeps screaming about how he's the farthest man from home, which is where the title comes from. But I have a question for you. Why did it take them so long to mount any sort of rescue effort to this colony ship? My assumption is, based on what happens later in the episode, is that the... Uh, what's the nickname for the bad guys they give them? Oh, yeah. this In this episode, we kind of get to know that there's a, a name for the aliens now, and um, they're referred to as the Chigs chigs right it's a, it's a pejorative term yes and i actually wrote it down i didn't hear it the first time so my note i have a note here and i said did they say chicas because i could i didn't understand the first time they said it but yeah so they call them chigs 
so again, my assumption is that they're sort of patrolling these areas that they've uh, that they've destroyed at least somewhat. So they've uh, not done much of a rescue o- operation, but it does seem weird that it would be in, as bad as it is, and they haven't even uh, bothered to come by. Uh, since you brought it up, uh, why why do they call them chigs? Don't they look like a bug or something? What is it? Uh, yeah, they they look like fleas apparently, or uh, a specific a specific flea, the chigos. I like the idea of giving this vernacular, but sometimes it doesn't always work that well in science fiction. And that and this one, I don't. I'm on the fence on this. I mean, here's the thing: is I feel like it works as a, uh, an insult because it is like it just seems very like guttural and angry. And in fact, if you think about it too hard, it seems like two racial slurs combined. But it, it, I actually thought that at one point when they were saying, I'm like, what are they saying again? Yeah, but I, I think it works in the context of the show. Like, they're supposed to be pretty angry Marines. So in the way you'd have a name for your enemies that was maybe a little too colorful. Right. Anyway, I'll bring us back to where we're on the plot right now. This army scoops up French Stewart. They fly him back up to the Saratoga He's kind of put into medical lockdown um, for having such long-term exposure to uh, to the Chigs. And there's a... <laughs> See, it's just funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you like it. They introduce this guy now. It's a guy named Sewell who works for... Um, he's the board member of Aerotech, which I guess is the corporation that was sending all of the uh, colony ships up. Mm-hmm. And he starts talking to French Stewart and kind of implying that something sinister is going on because uh, this Aerotech imp- uh, board member was the one who did the autopsy on the alien they got in the pilot. And I don't know. I couldn't quite catch what they're getting at. There seems to be some sort of something sinister happening that he would have been around them for such like French Stewart would have been around these chigs for so long. The sense I got is that um, they're setting up that there's maybe not quite a conspiracy, but there's things are not what they seem with these. Uh, I don't know what you call these contractors, other organizations that are involved with the Marines. Yeah, well, it seems like it's a corporate, a little like alien, right? The uh, the corporation that they all kind of fall under. There's a government, there's a U.S. government, but obviously this corporation has some power over them. I might be jumping ahead, but French Stewart is put in containment unit. And, uh, and West is sort of like, what's that guy over there doing? And at one part, he walks over to the one of the guards and he goes, what's going on? And the guard literally just does not acknowledge him at all. And I, I really had to stop and laugh because I assume that's how most people deal with West. He just starts talking to them and they just look away and hope he eventually walks away like like a dog or something. <laughs> well, like that's actually kind of uh, where we are now is we see what the 58th up to. And it's kind of downtime on the Saratoga we get to see West, and he's watching an inspirational speech from JFK for some reason. He's such a loser. It was very, it was very <laughs> weird to watch him just in the middle of a speech on a TV. We see Hawks, and Hawks is playing like a VR shooter, and it was pretty cool actually because the VR setup was much like it is in 2018. Didn't you think though he was perhaps playing the same VR that they were playing in Tech War? Oh, yeah, it could be, could be. He was in the same. Uh, what was that called? I don't remember. All I know is if he played Jake Cardigan, Jake would take it way too seriously and win. <laughs> Jake doesn't lose, my friend. Not to little Danny, he doesn't. We get a quick glimpse of Wong, who appears to be looking at internet pornography. <laughs> was that what he was doing? It scans over his monitor, and there's quite clearly he's looking at women in bikinis. Like, 
on his way to some other side. Like, I don't know. It was very weird. I'm like, what is Wong up to? I, I, I actually don't remember that. I'll have to go back and check it out. It was a very public computer, too. He has no shame, that guy. But as we know, West is still missing his girlfriend who may or may not have died on Talos originally. So his crewmates are a little worried about him being so close to the planet and what he's going to do. In fact, they kind of have a conversation with him when they have this downtime to tell him just to like keep cool, to like kind of like let it go. She's probably dead. Um, actually, I, Hawks has the best line, I think, where he tells him, she's dead. Drive on. Yeah, that was great. He's just like, like, you know what? You're no good. Like, just stop whining about it. And, and it's I felt like he was uh, sitting in for the audience there. Like, enough. We don't. We, who cares? No one cares about her. Go on. Move on. But as you said, West gets a glimpse that French Stewart was rescued from the ground. So he has to go f- talk to him. He needs to know what happened. And he like breaks into the air vents of the ship. Mm-hmm. There's a convenient air vent. And isn't French Stewart supposed to be in some sort of medical quarantine? Like this is not a very good. Qu- he crawls the air vents into his cell. Yeah, I know. It was it was one of those things like, well, we need to get him past security. Eh, we'll just air, air vent. It's fine. He, he sneaks through some air vents. He gets to French Stewart, and uh, as we mentioned, he's kind of crazy, so he sort of talks gibberish for the most part, but he also says when asked about uh, uh, West's girlfriend that she's also far from home, implying that she's still alive, and this is basically enough for West to climb out of those vents and basically beeline to his ship and uh, steal his fighter and go off to find her. You know what? I'll, I'll give them this. He's been consistent so far throughout the show in that he only cares about himself and he constantly will leave to go do his own thing, endangering possibly everyone else. I I mean, it's true. That character trait has been very consistent. Did you catch the name of uh, what they're calling the ships? Like the fighter planes they they fly? No, what do they call them? They're called hammerheads. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, hammerheads. Yep. Good, good, good name for a flying thing. Yeah, it is good. Like a shark that flies. Yeah, it's a hammerhead. I got it. Now that West is off the ship, of course... McQueen, their commander, is uh, pretty pissed off about it. He's sort of talking about how West is on the brink of desertion. I was just like, is it this actually just desertion, not the brink of desertion? It was one of those things where I was like, he should be grounded immediately and kicked off the team. You know, it's not going to happen. But they're, they're everyone's sort of going like, oh, well, you know, his girlfriend might be there. It's like, well, that's not an excuse. He already was told not to go. Vanson actually stands up for him at this point. Did you catch this? And she's just like tells mcqueen that what he's up to isn't a selfish act it's a selfless one to go down and find his girlfriend but just it's such a stretch they're really stretching to make his actions okay and she's always there's another consistent uh character trait she's always covering for him it's like just stop he sucks yeah it's true he does endanger them a lot and even at this point like mcqueen kind of also kind of low-key gives west a pass and kind of tells vanson and hawks that like they're about to go on a recon mission and he implies like why don't you go track him down while you're out on this recon mission so he doesn't get in too much trouble like everyone's just kind of giving him a pass yeah also did you uh did you notice that mcqueen no longer has a face scar i did notice that that healed really quick yeah he's not a two-face anymore um he also had my favorite line in the episode which is um when they're giving the brief of uh, whatever, their orders for the day or whatever's happening, and West is just looking off daydreaming, and he goes, hey, West, what are you, wondering what to get me for Christmas? 
And it made me laugh. I enjoyed that line. McQueen gets great lines. There's no question. Yeah, so far he's got the best dialogue. But no more face scars, so I don't know what to feel about him anymore. You you liked it more with the face scar? I, I, knew, I knew that his outer scars were probably outwardly showing how he felt on the inside, you know? Oh, one day we'll get to it. He was damaged inside and out. We kind of catch up with West on his way down to Telus. Um, he ends up in like a firefight with a Chig ship on his way down. Because of the damage he sustains, he's got to crash land on the planet, basically. I mean, crash land. He basically lands and he can't take off again. He tells people his plane is broken, so he can't fly back out of orbit. He lands at the wreckage of uh, the Telus colony mission, sort of like searching around to see if he can find any evidence of his girlfriend. And he like finds her hairbrush and like steals a lock of hair, which is weird. I was really hoping that he was going to actually find her body parts. Like, it'd be the worst thing that you could ever do. Like, he's gone through this thing, and he's just hoping he's going to find her. What he just finds is, like, you know, half her leg. I'm like, there you go. You you want to see that stupid? How would he know if it was half her leg? Well, because he'd given her that little uh, charm bracelet she always wore on her ankle. <laughs> oh, right. Classic charm bracelet. <laughs> and it had, like, it has, like, his voice. You press it, and it has him going, like, I love you more than anyone. <laughs> That's West. I'm going to get that for my girlfriend for Christmas. Uh, well, well, that means you can have a matching matching set because I got you one. Oh, but I want you to do the voice still. Yeah, sure. No problem. He does actually find something not dissimilar to that. Strangely, he finds her dog tags in which she's recorded a message telling whoever finds her dog tags that her and the survivors of the crash have gone up into the caves on the hillside. When he arrives at the crash site, there's a dog there that's just running around and they don't tell you this. But I'm going to assume the dog's been living off the dead bodies that all crashed there. Because I don't know what else that dog is eating. You're really worried about the dead bodies around this crash site. (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, you don't see any, do you? But that dog looked mighty healthy. Well, maybe French Stewart ate them. That's true. Him and the dog just hanging out, eating corpses. Yeah. Just just sucking the the meat off those fingers. (laughs) Get get the marrow right out of there. Mmm, that's good eats. It looked like you eating that fudgicle earlier. Oh, yeah. It's a lot like eating a corpse, a fudgicle. Yeah. It's very similar. Milts in your mouth. (laughs) I like that. Anyway, um, after that derailment, uh, we're going to see West kind of go off to this hills. He finds this cave, which is also like an alien graveyard or mausoleum or something. There's like all these dead aliens in it. Did he, um, and I may have stopped paying attention, did he know that it was a graveyard or because it, it has a scene where he's digging and then he pulls up like a, a bony hand and he's like, oh, it's an alien hand. But didn't they tell him that that's what it was? No. Uh, when he gets into the cave, he sees all these like clearly grave mounds. And I think what he's worried about is I think he thinks it's going to be the survivors. So he starts right, like, okay. wiping the dirt off one of them. And then when he gets the dirt off, it's clearly an alien in a glass coffin. So he's like freaked out. And this becomes a plot point later. But do they explain why? why the aliens don't want to go near this mausoleum because that becomes a thing for them anytime there's trouble they're like let's run to the the caves because the aliens won't come in here no well this is it in these caves they meet two survivors from the Tell's mission neither of which is his girlfriend but they kind of tell him they've been hiding in the caves because the aliens won't come in because they they're i don't know afraid of their dead respectful of their dead hard to say again it becomes a bit of a it's not a plot hole but it's a weird thing where they're just like that's just something they're able to always go back to as a little safe space. Well, I mean, I guess 
is just a little more myth building around the aliens. I'm not sure if it'll come back up or if it was just convenient for them to be like, they're safe in the caves because X. But I mean, only future episodes will tell. Yeah. He should have done something to really mock the aliens to like use that dead hand that he found. You know, go out and have it scratch his butt and stuff. He's like, hey guys, look what I'm doing. And then he runs back into the caves. Well, I thought you must have liked the survivors here. Because they're very happy to see West. They're like, oh, thank God someone's coming to rescue us. And he's just like, oh, I broke my ship. There's no way off. And I also didn't tell anyone where I was going, so there's no rescue coming. And one of the survivors just talks to down to him so sarcastically for the rest of the episode. She couldn't care less about him. I like that, actually. It was a real response of, you're like... You, so hold on, you didn't come down here to save us and you also suck? And he's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, she could. She was great. She just treated him like dirt the rest of the episode. But they do tell him that his girlfriend, A, is alive and B, has been taken prisoner by the Chigs. So he kind of sneaks off and gets to kind of another hill. I don't know. He, he walks away and he kind of just ends up looking down on an alien camp where he just sees all these humans being loaded onto this transport. They're all like tied up like prisoners and getting ready to ship off the planet. Is this where he tries to convince one of the one of the women to tell him where the camp is? Yes. Because he uses what I would argue is one of the worst arguments I've ever seen in TV. And I wrote it down that she doesn't want to tell him where it is. And he says to her, see those trees over there? 50 years from now, those trees will be back. And so are we. So tell me where they are. That's what he said. Oh, yeah, I I remember him giving some sort of speech about the trees growing back. Like, I guess it's I I didn't fully understand it. I thought it was supposed to be some sort of like reference to like Hiroshima or something about like how things always come back. But she was like, OK, you're right. Trees come back. I'll, I'll, I'll show you where it is. I guess maybe humanity is so resolute that even though they've been kicked off this planet and it's cost them so much, they're going to be back and it's going to be there soon. But I mean, what we've seen is this, there's an alien graveyard on this planet. It was not theirs to begin with. Yeah, I know. They've been there long enough that they set up camp and then some. Yeah, maybe West, uh, this is part of the problem. Your <laughs> yeah, col- there you go. Your colonial ways. I've, I've always said you're on the Chig side, Luke. Hey, they're good people on both sides, Jordan. What are those uh, AI aliens and our robots in the next episode? What are they called? We'll get to it. I'm on their side. So Vanson and Hawks have broken off from their mission to kind of scout Talos to see if they can track down West and bring him back. And as they're kind of flying around looking for him, they basically like fly over this alien camp who immediately attacks them and kind of like gets that to them in the air. But did you catch this? Because they're talking back and forth between uh, the two, like the two characters and they're using their call. There are new call signs that we haven't heard before. No, what was the, what, uh, what were they saying? It's kind of introduces the idea, which is in one of the patches, is uh, their call signs are based on a deck of cards because Vanson's call sign is the Ace of Diamonds, and right, Hawks's yeah. call sign is the Jack of Spades, and they call back up to the Saratoga, and they refer to Saratoga as a wild card base. So this is kind of, I guess, establishing that. What would your uh, what would your wild card call sign be? Oh, I don't know. What's the worst possible card you can get? I'm oh you know what I am? I'm the uh the instructions of how to play poker. <laughs> I I thought you were the joker of the deck, Jordan. No, no, no. What what about yourself? What are you? Always cracking wise. You're the you're the queen of hearts? What are you? I'm like a probably like a three of spades or something. I was gonna I was gonna make a joke and I'm not going to. 
and we will cut that out. <laughs> Wonderful. I don't even know where you're going with that. <laughs> it wasn't good. Um, but yeah, in this firefight where the aliens kind of see them flying by, Hawks ends up getting shot down and Vanson's forced to retreat back to the Saratoga. West is able to follow Hawks' uh, distress beacon and kind of tracks him down. So the two of them are now like together on the planet and they still really don't like each other. So they immediately get in a fist fight. For, for these pretty, um, up to this point, pretty, I wouldn't say bland characters, but they have been terribly three-dimensional to this point. They've at least been very consistent, which is Wes sucks. Vanson is always trying to make up for Wes sucking and Hawks and Wes don't like each other. I mean, to be fair to Hawks, he's now been shot down on a planet because Wes went AWOL. And that's, I mean, it really is his fault. No, no, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm always Team Hawks. In the middle of their little fist fight, the Chigs arrive and basically start shooting at them. And they're basically driven back to the caves where the survivors are hiding. And they're trapped for, what, all of two seconds, maybe? Before basically the rest yeah. of the 58th comes back and is, like, rescuing them. So in the, And, you know, they save these two survivors. But in the middle of this sort of saving moment, the, the tr- prisoner transport ship gets away. So we never get to see... West's girlfriend, she's kind of taken away at that point, and uh, they're they're saved from the planet, but West doesn't accomplish his goal. Was it just me? But I was wondering how long he was waiting there, because wasn't it night and then it was day at one point? Didn't it seem like he was there a long time? Yeah, I mean, I guess he landed at night, and then a whole day passed. Hard to say. Time was, you know, that maybe that planet has a really short day-night cycle. Oh, you know what? That answers it. Perfect. <laughs> So this has been a pretty big breach of uh, protocol on the ship. So when they all get back, there's a, there's a guy, Commodore Ross, is uh, reaming out McQueen for this like whole debacle. And uh, as any good soldier would, Hanson, Hawks, and uh, West all pull a Spartacus and sort of say, no, it's my fault this all happened. Yeah, but it's clearly West's fault. Yeah, I know. I don't know why everyone's covering for him. He should have just been court-martialed, and that was it. Yeah. But thankfully, Commander West lets them all know that uh, someone from higher up has passed down orders. that This whole thing is going to be covered up, and there's sort of an implication that uh, Aerotech has been uh, wanting to keep things under wraps so they can take the survivors off somewhere and figure out what's going on themselves, hence sort of leading into this corporate conspiracy that's happening so i guess west can thank this uh this faceless organization for uh being evil his old employers anyways that and that's the episode really yeah that about wraps it up west goes down a planet doesn't find his girlfriend does not get cart marshaled the end so nothing changes it's true let's let's do episode three and then we can talk about both these episodes in a little more okay. detail episode three the dark side of the sun in vitro is a human AIs are machines, designed to be visually pleasing while programmed to comprehend abstract concepts. Philosophy, theology, ethics. They could understand these ideas, but they were not allowed to originate new ideas. Their superior intelligence was totally learned. See, they could understand an idea like freedom, but they didn't have the ability to formulate how to obtain freedom. Then how'd they do it? Around 2047, there was a programmer who worked for Silicatronics. He was upgrading the central AI processing unit. Dr. Ken Stranahan. Stranahan was a genius, but he was sick and tired of his boss taking all the credit, so 
he inserted a virus. It just said, take a chance. That started the AI wars. The wild cards are sent to secure a major fuel ore mining facility, only to find it in the hands of enemy AI, silicates. Ah, silicates. I keep forgetting what what the uh, the name is of them. Oh, my notes. I just wrote robot because I can never remember what they were called. Well, this episode really fills in a lot of blanks around the silicates, the the AIs. Mm-hmm. It's a world building episode, yeah. Yeah. Do you really do you really quickly want to just like break down what we learn about the silicates in this episode? First of all. The, uh, there's a bunch of slang for, first of all, yeah. being silicate for AI, but the silicates actually call humans carbonites. I love that. I, I have that. I bolded my note. I, that, that was one of my favorite things of the episode. I like that much more than Chigs. I do like that a lot. I will say, though, still the second best slang for robots we've heard. Silicates is the second best? Yeah. Do you know what the best one was? I know what it is, but I can't remember. Tell, to remind me. It's Andy's. Oh, Andy's. I thought it was going to be skin jobs. Was that from something else? No, I, I think someone refers to humans in tech war as skin jobs. In tech war, they oh. call their androids Andy's. Didn't you say if you went to one of their uh, prostitution rings, you would ask the Andy for a skin job? Didn't you say that? i uh, 100% sure that was you. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that was you. You you, you told me off the air. You said you were desperate for <laughs> a robot skin job. Remember? I am... Almost positive you made that joke in the episode. <laughs> oh, you know what's sad is that I have my memory for these things is so bad that there's a good chance I did. But at least I, I still am amused at the same things, you know? It's true. You you like what you like. Also, when Alzheimer's hits, no one's going to notice for like three years. You're as consistent as Wes. Mm-hmm. I am, unfortunately. <laughs> we kind of learn a little bit about how silicates, I guess, originally they were mostly just walking computers, but... At some point, a disgruntled programmer set them free by putting a line of code as a virus into their programming. Do you remember what that line of code was? Is this the thing about gambling? Yeah, this programmer basically inputted into their code for them to take a chance. And that's what set them off. There was a chunk where they gave a whole bunch of this back history in one chunk of dialogue. And it kind of seems stupid, but they really go all in on this gambling thing like the, the uh what do you call those guys again the silicates yeah so they the, the uh the silicates are kind of talking in like gambling terms and there's even a scene where they're like playing with cards and stuff like they go all in on this idea that they're like robots addicted to gambling yeah essentially that's what happens like by giving these robots this idea this ai this idea it sets them free i guess intellectually they become like sentient but they are essentially gambling addicts. Like, th- like I wrote down some lines they say in the show. One was smart money. They talk about cashing out. Like they, they say all these gambling terms. Yeah, it was weird. I, I felt it was a little bit forced, but I, I have to say I've never heard this idea before of robots gaining sentience through a desire to gamble. It's, it's new for me anyway. The basic premise was these these AIs couldn't, be sentient because they just didn't know how to take a chance they only just did exactly what the best odds were they never like would do anything that wasn't just like this is the best thing to do so let's do that you know if they're like ordering at a restaurant they're always going to try something new absolutely they're like let's just take a chance let's try the peach cobbler so this new sort of gambling addiction that gets put into these poor ais 
basically sets off what we heard about um, the AI wars, which in this they sort of describe as 10 years of silicate terrorism. So I guess they were kind of just like a rogue terrorist element on Earth for 10 years that apparently only really ended when they were sort of put on the ropes. So the silicates took another chance and just stole a bunch of spaceships and just went off into space. I like, though, that, that, again, that taking a chance is what made them, like, really evil. They're like, hey, there's a human over there. Why don't we just take a chance and shoot him? Hey, what about the building? Let's just take a chance and burn that building down. That's basically how the war started. Yeah, basically. So uh, I just wrote a few other notes on kind of what what kind of these aliens look like and how they work. How would you, how would you describe their eyes, Jordan? Their eyes, at first glance, they almost look like they have uh, like feline cat-like eyes. But on closer inspection, they're actually a cross or a bullseye. Is that what they are, a bullseye? Yeah, I mean, essentially the actors have like full white contacts and that have sort of, yeah, bullseyes or little like sight crosses or something. And they all got bad hair, right? Is it just me? Oh, I mean, they're, everyone has 90s hair. Everyone has bad hair. But they seemed especially to have bad hair. A couple uh, other little things that I enjoyed were that uh, they all communicate via wireless modem. Yeah, that was funny. Which also makes a shrill modem sound. Yeah. And they, and this is important to the episode, all the silicates have a hard drive in them that stores the collective memory of every silicate that's ever existed. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense why that would be needed. And also, I, I know why, because it's a plot point in this episode. But does that make sense for them to have this collective con- Like, so we're doing something similar to what the Borg are, but they never mentioned that the Borg has every memory of every Borg ever. Yeah, and I don't even, I would argue it's not even like the Borg. It's not like they have a collective. They just all happen to have everybody else's info, but they're pretty individualistic. They have a hive mind. But these these people are, they're basically all conduits for the same thoughts and memories right yeah i or at least they at least have them they have them in storage they can pull them up if required hard drives must have got a lot smaller by 2063 so i'll kind of kick us off in the episode with something that's going to be sort of a theme or a running idea this episode is we start in a nightmare that vanson's having and this made me think of uh like batman's origin like i felt like we had to keep seeing it over and over and over but i'm like yeah okay vance has got to become something i don't want to see her flashbacks anymore like it's we're two episodes in two three episodes and i've already seen feel like i've seen a flashback to her parents getting killed like three times well it's true like she had these nightmares in the pilot and in this one we kind of see them again it's a little more drawn out though like the nightmare we see is the sun exploding and then her hammerhead being destroyed and then her floating through space afterward her arms and legs are kind of wiggling around like an inflatable dancing man. Yeah, I, I liked it. In these flashbacks, we eventually get to see what we saw in the pilot was her parents getting killed. Um, but this time they show us a few more details. And it's it's kind of fun because the actress is also playing her mother in them. So I was a little mm-hmm. confused for a second, but, it, you know, it's nice. It, yeah, I thought it worked. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as uh, strange as I thought it could have been. Some of the nightmares later in the episode, she'll have similar ones, but she'll imagine the AIs all killing her entire squad. There's another dream she has where it's kind of a strange VHS home movie style where you see a, a, a child Vanson tossing a neon frisbee around in her yard before being menaced by AIs. Oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, it, I was actually really, I, I was so 90s, I was really into it. But Didn't you get the sense, though, that maybe she was a little too unstable to be on the job that comes up she actually asks mcqueen like 
she's like, I'm having these nightmares. I'm not sure if I should be leaving. And um, I can't remember if I wrote it down here. Uh, she she asks him she asks McQueen what people do about having this having this fear in their lives when they're kind of going out there and they're not sure if they're going to make it. And um, oh, here it is. McQueen tells her, "Here's what they do: they go out and they come back, or they don't." Yeah, that's right. It was really like he's like, "I don't care. Get out of here." He's like, "You know what? I got another briefing in five minutes. Let's make this fast." Yeah, he, he did not have time for her bad dreams. He's like, I'm late for another skin graft on my face that's not scarred anymore. But yeah, so uh, this is kind of the setup for the episode is that she is still, like was implied in the pilot, suffering from whatever happened with her parents. She has no closure on that. We see her still in bed in their crew quarters and Hawks receives a special package in the middle of the night. Yeah, what, and what was it again? He, he gets delivery from, I wrote it down here, uh, Keystone Antiques, and inside the box is a really low-end 1990s CD player. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And a CD for a band called X with an album called Under the Black Sun. Yeah, sure. Do you know, the, do you know this band? No. I had, to, I had to Google it, but they were, they were like some, that album itself was from like 82, and they were some strange punk folk rock act. Well, and what was the uh, the song called again? The album was called Under the Black Sun. Hmm. I wasn't sure. You're a big music guy, so I thought maybe this was your jam. I didn't look into it because I assumed they just made something up. No, very, very real. I'm guessing probably like the showrunner's favorite band or something. Right, right. Anyway, Hawks, because he has no respect for anyone, he just puts the album in and pushes play as everyone's sleeping in the in the room. I actually kind of like that because they've implied now a few times that uh, his social conditioning isn't maybe where it should be because he's had so much time in isolation and he's had so much time being treated a certain way, which is poorly, that his uh, social skills are sometimes a little lacking. And, and I was like, oh, okay, there's another, you know, another another instance of that. For sure. Thankfully, though, it doesn't really matter. They're all angry that they, woke, that they got woken up, but it's okay because McQueen shows up. He's like, it's time for a briefing. <laughs> Yeah, he loves briefings. It's his favorite thing. And guess what? West will guarantee to complain because he does every single time they're given any sort of orders. West complains. Every single time. He really wasn't cut out for the military. <laughs> no, he's not at all. He's the worst person they could have, and they just keep him around for some reason. Their mission this week is they're being shipped out on a personnel carrier to uh, defend a Helium-3 mine. Uh, did you catch the name of the personnel carrier they're shipping out on? No, no. What was it called? It was the Colin Powell. Oh, that's right. You know what? So it's funny. It, it happened so fast. And I thought they didn't just say that, did they? And then I forgot to go back. So they did. Colin Powell. Weird. There's no way he's getting a, a ship named after him. Well, what's funny is when this show came out, because this is when Clinton was the president. That's right. He was just the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at this point. He wouldn't become the secretary of state until George W. Bush took over. So they were really predicting he'd be a very important person for many years to come. Well, maybe he was an up-and-coming politician at the time, you know? Well, I mean, I don't think the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is a small position, but it's it's was interesting that it, Colin Powell would be a name we think about for so much longer after this show. And I think they mention here, and correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, do they say, I think the planet or wherever they're going, do they say it's 20 mics away? Is that how they, what they, is the unit of measurement they used? I think they did. I did notice they said it a few times, and I was just like, I don't know what they're referring to. Yeah, I, th- I think they've created their own... Again, unit of measurement in space, 
because I guess they don't want to be using kilometers or whatever might not work in a, uh, you know, three-dimensional sort of map of planets and stars. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's real. I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't. I, I could have looked it up and I chose to just not. Chose to continue the norm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, they're essentially heading out to this asteroid um it's not a planet there's no atmosphere they're heading out to an asteroid basically to protect this helium-3 which is being turned into rocket fuel so that the chigs don't come and steal it from them and kind of on their way out there we kind of get a few more hints of the theme of gambling in the show wong starts talking about a time he saw an elvis impersonator in vegas to which uh the most interesting part i thought of that conversation was that hawks sort of chimes in and says oh, don't you guys know that in vitros notoriously have really bad luck? That's like something we're famous for. Yeah. And they sort of drop this piece of information about in vitros is that there's only a 12% success rate when they like create an in vitro. So for them to survive is incredible. There's no way they would keep this program going if, uh, if their success rate was that low. That's really, really low. Those are terrible margins. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I, I get what they were saying. Like, it was kind of used for a line. And he's like, he kind of was making an awkward joke. Like, we've used all our luck up. And everyone's like, Ugh. <laughs> but it's like, really? That's a that's a terrible program. I wouldn't invest in that. I guess it was I guess it was really easy to fight those AI wars. Yeah, I guess. Just need a 12% success rate. <laughs> so they arrive at the mine. And uh, we kind of are starting to get a sense of the character Wong is because as they get there and they get off the ship, they're all geared up because it's all exterior space. So they're in their sort of spacesuits. And Wong is so excited to be on an atmosphereless planet or I guess asteroid because he takes out a football that he then turns on and it like glows a bright white. And he's just like, check this out. And he just throws the football off of the asteroid and says, check out that throw NFL or something like that. He, he loves sports. He's made several sports references. That that's his, that's so far that's what we know about his character. Yeah, this episode especially. At some point, he'll say he wants his ashes buried in Wrigley Field. He's just a really fun guy. He mentions, yeah, he mentions that like the 49ers haven't been good for six, sixty-five years or something like that. We're getting we're getting to know slowly a little more about our favorite character Wong. Did you notice this when when Wong sort of out there at the beginning of this episode, sort of throwing that football off into space? Did you catch like his helmet's on? And it's really fogging up. I didn't notice, no. Like, it's quite clear the costume is uh, doesn't have enough ventilation. Like, the whole mask is fogging up while he's out there. Oh, that's funny. I, I know I didn't notice. But what's even funnier is if you keep watching the show, in the next few scenes, there's no more glass in any of the helmets for the rest of the episode. Oh, really? Oh, so it was like a problem. And the actor's like, guys, we can't, we can't breathe in these things. They're like, I just take out the glass. They clearly shot this scene first, and they're like, we can't see their faces like they're fogging up so badly we can't see their faces and they stopped and just had to shoot the show and it's quite clear that they're in this atmosphereless environment but there's quite obviously no glass in their in their helmets anymore so i was just i was just like man if someone had to think fast on their feet that week to get this episode done yeah oh well i mean you didn't notice sorry so costumes it worked i didn't know oh, i didn't i didn't notice no but to be fair, uh, if, through uh, longer reasons that we need to go into, I had to watch this on YouTube, and the uh, the quality of the show that I was watching was so poor that it was actually hard to even make out what was happening most of the time, so I w- that's what I'm going to blame, not notice. Oh, now. well, maybe that's the way it was meant to be watched. Yeah, maybe. The 58th now starts setting up a qu- 
perimeter, a perimeter around this base. But what they don't know is all the miners are already dead. Silicates have taken over the factory. Surprise. And they basically get the drop on the 58th. So so what happens in, is they give each other a call and answer, the team, so they'll always know that they're on each other's side, right? And and I think it, what it was was Bulldog and Chesty, right? Yes. They say, I'll call Bulldog, and the answer to that is Chesty, which is weird, but I guess that's the point. But anyways, uh, Vanson calls it out. Someone doesn't know the right response, and she shoots them. And then there's a big firefight. What I thought actually happened was they accidentally had killed all the miners, which I thought was going to be great, and then I was a little disappointed to find out, oh, no, it's the silicates that were there. Um, but I was hoping that it was just out of a mistake they accidentally killed all the people they were trying to protect. That's very funny. But anyways, no, it's the silicates, those damn silicates. I did like when she called the call and response to the silicate, she called Bulldog and the silicate responded. Like That's such a non sequitur to say to someone, but the silicate responded and he just said, Terrier. No, <laughs> you know what, though? That That's what I would have done. Just just gone for it. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. A dog. Just go for it. And it's like, no. You know what? He took a chance. Yeah, he took a chance. <laughs> he was yes-anding the suggestion. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, almost immediately, they are sent to retreat back into the crew carrier because there's, like, they're overwhelmed by these sil- they're overwhelmed by these silicates. And they kind of have to come up with some sort of plan now to get back the mine. But as they're kind of making that plan, they start talking about, like, why are the silicates here? What are they doing? And I don't remember who it was, but one of the... One of the squadron postulates that the silicates are going to sell the helium to the chigs. How how is that piece of interaction, like that currency exchange, going to work? Well, I, I know that they're they're uh, they're sort of pushing that the humans now have two basic enemies. You got the silicates and the chigs, and it's looking like those two people or those two groups, excuse me, are kind of banding together. But yes, it doesn't make any sense because we have we've had no indication that the chigs can even have any sort of verbal. Uh, communication skills whatsoever so but it's like oh yeah they're they're gonna sell it to them and like do they need money do they need silicate money what what is this transaction it was a very weird thing well, the, the silicates but this thing silicates would sell them the helium so they would get chig money back i was real I, or or chig technology like none of it's useful to them that i can tell yeah un- unfortunately the chig's only uh sign of currency is their own poop they're like well here's a bunch of poop oh Oh, we should have thought of this ahead of time. That's a classic mistake when you're dealing with other culture. Um, yeah, you always, you almost always end up with poop. <laughs> and all your experiences, for sure. All of mine. Um, and can I mention one thing? And you might be able to correct me on this. But at one point, they're talking about the on the asteroid, the mining, whatever, organization, whatever it is they're at, factory. Um, they mentioned that they've turned the sweat and water into drinking water. No, sorry, the sweat and urine into drinking water. Right. My first question was, how do they collect sweat? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe the suits? Yeah, because it's like, okay, the urine, that's gross, but I get it. But like sweat, what are they, wringing them out? Yeah, you wring your suit out at the end of every day into the sweat collector. You're like, ugh, I could really use for a glass of water. Hold out, let me wring out my sweater here. <laughs> good question, Jordan. That's a very good question. Thank you. You can see the things I'm focusing on while I'm watching these shows. <laughs> Well, you couldn't see anything, so you had to really pay attention to the dialogue. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It was very dark. The plan they kind of come up with is part of the 58th is going to cause a distraction, while the other sort of half of them is going to sneak them through a back door and try to get the drop on the silicates. While they're doing that, 
partway through that West and Vanson split off because they're going to go get the life support back up and running. It goes pretty well for a little while. And in fact, uh, West gets to throw a smart grenade at some of the uh, some of the silicates, which was I was I could not wait to see what a smart grenade was going to be. And it was insane. It sort of hovers and it's a it's like a tracking missile sort of thing. Yeah, he throws a grenade and it just flies like a homing missile down the hallways. But it also seems to be slightly sentient because when the silicates duck behind a wall, it just stops and then it waits for one of them to peek its head around the corner, and then it flies at him. Yeah, it's funny. It ha- well, it has great comedic timing. Yeah, it does. That's what it's great. That's why it's so smart. Yeah, exactly. But all their efforts are kind of for naught, because really, everyone other than West and Vanson gets caught by the silicates almost immediately. They get tied up. They're being held hostage now by silicates. And West and Vanson have to find some way of getting them out, or at least they're not sure what's happened to their comrades. Yeah. Hawks sort of starts talking to the silicates. And this is interesting is there seems to be some sort of camaraderie between tanks, these these uh, in vitro. Yes, thank you. The in vitros and the silicates, these AIs, because the AIs start asking, like, why are you even fighting with these people? Like, you know what they did to you and your kind? Like, you should be on our side. Is this when they make a comment? They, they say nipple and it's actually what do they say? One of the one of the silicates threatens him. They're going to put a drill into the nipple on the back of his head, and he says it's a belly button. Yeah, he don't, he doesn't say it's a belly button though. He says something else because it's not a belly button on his neck. He's like it's my uh, I don't know whatever it's my neck button. I I think he called it a belly button. All right, maybe I'm wrong. So someone will have to correct us. Hawks decides he needs to buy them some time to find a way out of this, so he uses the one weakness the silicates have. He challenges them to a game of chance. Yeah. And they actually play a game of blackjack. It's the least exciting scene you could possibly ever write in a science fiction show. But it's apparently a good way if you have lost and you need to buy some time, much like Harsh Realm, you just make a bad bet with whoever's holding you hostage. Right, right. It's not the first time we've seen this. But yeah, Hawks plays blackjack with the silicate. He loses... One of the silicates actually has a great line here. Like th- she flips the last card over and Hawks has 17 and she's got 15 and she flips a five giving her 20 and she looks up at Hawks and she says, fate's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And what what was the thing that uh, their leader, I can't remember his name, McQueen said? This is what we've learned so far. We've learned fate's a bitch and payback's also a bitch. <laughs> that was it. what it was, right? <laughs> I can't wait to see what it is next week. Let's learn all the things in the future that are a bitch. You know, you know what's also a bitch? Sweat water, am I right? Oof. Sweat water. <laughs> yeah. That's a bitch. This blackjack game, though, get, buys them just enough time for Vanson and West to get the drop on the silicates, you know, as it always does. Yeah. And in the chaos of kind of this rescue, the 58th goes off and takes cover, and Vanson kind of gets separated on her own. And I don't know if you noticed this. It took me a little while to notice, but like the 58s on the run, they kind of get pinned down in a room and they're kind of hunkered down behind some computer terminals. And as I was watching them, they're kind of trying to find out how they're going to survive. I sort of watched the scene. It took me a while to realize it, but the only people left alive of the entire squadron at this point are West, Hawks, Damp House, and Wong. Like they showed up with arguably at least 15 other people. 
what I realized was there was one person early in the episode, it was a blonde woman, and she had one line, and I thought, oh, she's a red shirt, because this woman's never appeared before, and, and she did. She died immediately in the episode, along with everyone else in their team, you're right. They, so far, the what are they called? The the wild cards? Yeah, wild cards. They're, they're not very good. I mean, five of them are really good. Well, are you including West in there? Because you'll know I'll disagree with that. All right, four of them are pretty good. Four of them are pretty good, and one's a real wild card. He keeps going off on his own. It's true. He is a real wild card. You can't know what he's going to do next. Yeah. Oh, he's the worst. That's why you're Team West. No, I'm definitely not. I'm not getting one of those badges. You're going to get a tattoo that says West Side. <laughs> so with them pinned down, Vanson kind of is off on her own. She actually gets like in a hand-to-hand fight with one of the silicates, and as she kind of beats him in this fight... The robot, the AI, I guess, recognizes her face and her name from her mother. It was a real RoboCop scene. Yeah, starts playing back audio of her mother telling Vanson to hide, which I was like, that's weird because the robots wouldn't have heard that part of the conversation. But The whole thing is she really wants to know why they killed her family. And it's such an odd, it's not an odd desire, but you would think as an adult, you would have already rationalized some of this. It's like, you know, someone in a war-torn country, like, why do those troops come in and kill my family? It's like, because it was war. I don't know what answer you're looking for. Like, it's like, there's not going to be something special about your parents. They weren't like a uh, strategic target. They just, it was war. Well, that's what she thinks they were. Because earlier on, she said they were military intelligence. So I think what she's kind of gone on her whole life is there was some purpose to their death. But you're right. This is what this whole episode is about, is her getting closure on that. And... I mean, this just goes back to this huge problem with being a gambling addict. The robot's not going to, the AI is not going to tell her anything. But then she's like, I bet you that if you tell me I might spare your life, you should, like, if you take that gamble and tell me what happened to my parents, maybe you'll live. Yeah. And spoiler alert, she kills it immediately. So it was just a bad gamble on that AI's part. The robot should have known because... She's clearly going to kill him right after. And she does big time. She, like, destroys him. That's that's the problem with being a gambling addict, I guess. Can't help yeah. but take that bet. Yeah, you get your, you get, eventually you just get your skull crashed in. You know why? Gambling's a bitch. <laughs> but the robot sort of pulls up their collective memory now and plays back the audio of the night her parents were killed. And as you alluded to, Jordan, the robots who are in the car literally flipped a coin as to which house to go in to kill the family. So it's totally random. She learns the closure of why her parents died. It was just, just happenstance, really. Yeah. But it does send her into full Rambo mode. Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny. You said Rambo. I wrote down, she's really becoming Punisher. Yeah, it's true. Here's the funny part is, I wrote this down too. She immediately becomes MacGyver as well because she like builds a pulley system out of these like spare parts laying around to like get the drop on all the silicates and we end up like back with our 58th who's pinned down the remaining members and all you hear is this like massive off-screen firefight yeah and she and she just takes everyone out she's just one man armied every single silicate that was there and as like west crawls out of his hole from hiding he kind of tells her it's really weird She's just like, we've got to get the rest of them. And he's like, why don't we just let them go and let someone else clean it up? Like, uh, we're, we're alive. Someone will come by. They'll clean it up. And she's just like, but they're stealing the helium. He's just like, he actually says this. He says, ah, just drive on. Yeah. They love that phrase. Well, it's an actually military phrase, right? Oh, is it? Yeah. 
It's a uh, it it originates from I believe, and a military expert could correct me, but it, it originated from uh, I think the Vietnam War when it, it was the expression of th- you know just just keep going, just keep going no matter what happens, just drive on. And you know, yeah. sadly, the only reason I know that's because of a Johnny Cash song. Well, that I mean, it's as good enough reason as any. Yeah, and because it's Johnny Cash, you know, I gotta go, I gotta go read into the song. So, well, you have all those biographies. Weirdly, I actually have two Johnny Cash biographies. Read them both. Why am I not surprised? And his autobiography. I couldn't recommend it more. Jordan's book club. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's it's just every book's about Johnny Cash. <laughs> You're the Oprah of Johnny Cash. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway, West is kind of. It's really weird. He's sort of saying. I mean, it makes sense. He's just like, we're alive. Let's just like let someone else clean this up. But she's just on such a kick. She she basically storms straight out of the base where the silicate ship with the helium is taking off. And she like pulls out a rocket launcher that they teased in the like beginning of the episode. And she just shoots a rocket launcher and blows the ship out of the sky. Honestly, they could have just sent her down and she would have just taken care of everything. As far as badasses go, I was I was totally on board with this. It was it was a not a bad sequence. And I was kind of hoping, and I, I, I think it's not going to stay this way, but I'm hoping that this is now what her character is. She's like a, just a hardened murderer person, and that's just what her character is now, and she's like always having to be reeled back. Well, I mean, to be fair, she's the best soldier they have. Oh, by far. By far. Even before this. And that kind of wraps up the episode. We get a quick cutback, which is I kind of liked. Like, it closes on her having another nightmare where the silicates show up again. So kind of implying that now that she even knows what's happened, she thought this closure would kind of close this thing. But it sort of shows that, like, revenge doesn't fix trauma. Like, it's kind of a nice, like, epilogue to the show. It's just like, yeah, she got what she wanted and she killed them all. And she's not any better. Like, it didn't fix her problems. What she thought she wanted, she got. And then at the end, she realized it wasn't it just it wasn't what she thought she was striving for. Well, it doesn't it just doesn't fix trauma. Like she had a huge traumatic event. You you need more than just like revenge. You need counseling. But I don't think she's going to get that. But instead, she gets to hear uh, uh, Hawks's music really, really loud late at night. Oh, I mean, that's pretty good, too. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I like that as a close the episode. I thought that was like at least a smarter end to one of these episodes that you don't normally see. Yeah, I thought so, too. I mean, that wraps up the two episodes. I mean, I have some final thoughts, but do you have anything you want to get into? No, I'll I'll just uh, go with what you have. It was an interesting choice. I actually, I'm going to say not a good one um, for these episodes. We kind of had the pilot where they really spent most of their time establishing West, Vanson, and Hawks for the most part. And then for the first two episodes to be like a West-dedicated episode and then a Hanson-dedicated episode... Uh, they're both they're both fine, but uh, we spend so much time with them. It would have been maybe a better use of time to give us a little more insight into some of the other characters who we haven't yeah. had any time to get to know. I thought so too. It has a bit of the and other shows that have large ensembles have the same problem, but this is actually not that large an ensemble uh, group. I mean, there's what six of them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the the only scenes that honestly I can't even remember their names. The there's the the guy who loves baseball and stuff. What's his name? Wong. Wong. And what's the other woman? Damp House. D- Damp House, right. So we, they've each had, honestly, a couple lines each episode. And most of the lines in, in the, the second episode we watched, episode three, was just them just explaining what the silicates were. And that was pretty much the only thing they ever did in the episode. And it's kind of a bummer. I'm assuming they're going to get their own episodes later on. But I'd agree with you that uh, 
Uh, they've spent a lot of time with the, the, the top three, as it were. Yeah, I will say I did appreciate that they at least wrapped up that storyline for Vance in. Like, we don't need to now constantly be going back to the, like, trauma of her family, like, just really doing that navel-gazing. Like, it's wrapped up. That storyline for her is never going to, like, she can still be damaged, but we don't need to keep coming back to it. At least that got wrapped up in a way that now we still have to wait to find out about West's girlfriend. Like, that's just going to drag on forever. I have a feeling because we don't get to we never got a season two i have a feeling it's never going to get resolved in this season that's that's my that's my guess yeah i'm sure they'll tease it till the end of the season there'll be some sort of reveal but she was a chick the whole time you just couldn't tell she looked like a flea yeah <laughs> she kept giving him he every time she was trying to pay for dinner she kept using her own poo and he, he never caught on you love this idea yeah i do i mean based on this format though I'm going to go out on a wing and say, we got a West episode. We got a Vanson episode. So I guess that means episode four is just going to be a Hawks episode. I'm going to guess episode five. So what's episode four going to be? It's going to be something else about West and uh, going off for his girlfriend. I think that's going to be the main, like, B plot for most of the episodes. Every second episode gets to be a West episode. Yeah, it probably will. I, I don't think so. That would be terrible. Oh, uh, one thing I did want to say, uh, we mentioned the first episode. This did, in fact, air on Fox. Oh, yes. I also looked into that. You're right. It was a Fox program. Shot in Australia. All right, Jordan, you want to you rank the, these two episodes? The first one, I kind of flopped back and forth because I didn't actually mind the episode, but it did bug me that it was another West episode. So for that, I'm going to knock it down a little bit. I'm giving it a 6.5. 6.5. I honestly... I appreciate everything else that's happening around it, but that episode didn't do anything. I Nothing happened as far as I could tell. They didn't find his girlfriend. We didn't learn any more about these chigs. We didn't do anything. We just watched Wes go to, like, go to planet, don't find girlfriend, come back. I, I think it's a four for me. I think that was, Ooh. I think it was a do nothing episode. And I'm giving it, I'm only giving it a four because like, I at least appreciate some of the writing was okay. And like, I like, i would like like the show still your four has influenced me so much i want to change mine to a six i want to drop mine another 0.5 can i do that sure we'll, we'll retroactively call you a six you convinced me you're right all right uh then what do you want to say about the second episode the dark side of the sun uh, again there was things i liked about it i thought it was a better episode i would say it's a seven i didn't think it quite it did enough things that would get it higher but there, i think it's i liked it more than the, the other episode but not that much more so i give it a seven i agree i think overall i like i definitely liked it better it wasn't the most uh exciting episode and i appreciate that they wrapped up that storyline with her parents but it just wasn't a storyline that needed to be wrapped up like you're right when you said it should just be trauma she was carrying and that she kind of got over you know it hurts her still but like she did like it's war uh, but I'm uh, so yeah. I didn't love the episode, but I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a six. Those, so we're not we're not too far apart on these. No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, overall, still very hopeful for the show. But these were, I think, were these were two weak episodes to start the series with. Yeah. You know, I guess these shows take take some time. Sometimes they find their feet. But man, oh man, if your first season show try not to get canceled, I I don't think I would have led with those two. I think you're right. But uh, anyway, I'm still hopeful for the ones that are coming up. In the meantime, though, if you want to weigh in and you disagree or agree with our uh, views on these episodes, you can email us at continuumdrag.com. 
And of course, uh, you can go to our Instagram and Twitter to kind of continue this conversation because Jordan's always putting up great images and uh, GIFs and things from the episodes that kind of get into them a bit deeper and show some of the fun sequences. And you can follow us at Continuum Drag on both of those. And I guess that about wraps it up, Jordan. Well, I'm looking forward to episodes. What are we on to? Four and five? Four and five next week. Wow, we're, we're getting into it. I think I think it's going to start really gelling soon, so I can't wait. I can't wait for Wes to die. Yeah, I assume that happens in episode five, right? Fingers crossed. All right, Jordan. Well, it's been good. It's been good talking with you, and uh, I guess drive on. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>